You're listening to a special edition of Midori House, first broadcast on the 12th of April 2019 on Monocle 24. Midori House, live from the Salone del Merble in Milan, is brought to you in association with Hyundai. Live from the Salone del Mobile in Milan, this is a special edition of Midori House. I'm Ben Rylan. Today is the third in our series of special episodes brought to you in partnership with our friends at Hyundai. Today's theme is all about connectivity. We'll ask how technology and the way we communicate is changing architecture and design and transforming everything from our homes to the cities we live in. That's ahead on this special edition of Midori House, live from the Salone del Mobile in Milan, starting now. Welcome back to Opificio Trent Uno on Via Tortona, where we've set up a special pop-up station this week during the Salone del Mobile. You're tuned to a very special edition of Midori House, live from Milan. It is possibly the finest time to be enjoying all that this city has to offer. Design Week has really brought Milan to life, with celebrations and artistic installations scattered all across town. Over the past few days, we've been discussing some of the broader themes that inform the design process. Everything ranging from our emotional connection to the world around us, to the finer details of how we move from one place to the next. Today we're focusing on connectivity, and who better to unwrap that than the Chief Creative Officer of Design Studio Wrapped, David Galulo. David, welcome to Midori House. Thanks for having me. It is, uh, well, I want to say it's your first year at Salone, but it's not really your first year personally, is it? You've been here many times before. It's your first year with an installation. Tell me about what, it, what it's been like to make that transition from being an, uh, an observer, I, I suppose, to being a participant and really con- contributing something quite meaningful to the event this year. What's that been like for you? Yeah, it's been uh, it, it's it's been far more different than I expected it to be, actually. Uh, and our installation is about that very topic, about moving people from behind their phones, being the constant observer, uh, running through things, taking photographs, and then running out, um, and actually getting them to slow down a little bit and be participants in the installation. Uh, so for me, it's been interesting. To, I haven't actually seen much of the workings of Design Week, unfortunately, but I have had an opportunity to see how people take things in and interact with, uh, in particular, our installation, but, but kind of this, this idea of design and connectivity as a whole. It's been really wonderful. I want to get to more about your installation soon, but first, I think it probably makes sense to get an idea for, uh, of more about what RAPT is, is up to. Uh, so RAPT has designed spaces for some very well-known brands indeed, among them are Google, Twitter, HBO. Tell me about how the, let's call it the digital age, I suppose, this age of connectivity where everything is always connected. How has that impacted the way that you would design a space? Yeah, um, I, I, I think uh, I think it's impacted it a lot, and I think we're fighting against it in some ways and trying to incorporate it in some ways. Uh, for us, it always starts with the human condition. It starts with the kind of interactions that you want to foster it, and the kind of behaviors you want to reward. 
Um, and if you start from that, from a design perspective, and overlay, you know, design at the end of the day for me is an elegant solution to a very complex problem. And there's no more complex problem than how people interact with each other, how they connect through technology or not. Um, so for us, it starts with the human condition, and then we, we start to weave into that how uh, uh, the digital realm can start to support that and enhance it, um, and how design, spatial, digital, etc., can start to really foster those kinds of interactions. A lot of people uh, have been, I suppose, being, feeling a little bit anxious over the past, what, decade, I, I suppose, or more, about this encroaching idea that we're always connected, that we can never really switch off no matter how hard we try, although you, you can try pretty hard and, and really, really switch off if you want to, uh, but it is, it is pretty difficult. What about that idea of being always connected? Is that changing the way that we view, let's, let's specifically look at the workplace, um, is it making the workplace more like a, a second home, I suppose, with the idea that you're going to be connected at home and then you're connected at work as well? So maybe rather than being two separate places, they're, they're sort of starting to become similar in the way that they're set up. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, and, you know, our design of the workplace certainly um, has morphed uh, into, uh, we, we use the expression, bring your whole self to work. There is no line between you know, your personal life and your professional life. Those things want to weave into the way you live your life. So uh, the office needs to support more than just your work process. Um, and the work culture needs to support more than your work process. I mean, it needs to allow you the flexibility to come and go, drop your kids off from school, show up late, go to your favorite yoga class at one in the afternoon, and potentially finish the last three hours of your day on your sofa after everyone's asleep uh, uh, at home. Uh, so it, it definitely has, uh, has started to intertwine. Um, and we also, you know, from a retail and hospitality perspective, you know, a lot of the work we do is, is, is defying description these days. It's outside of, of uh, the buckets we used to be able to easily put them in. Um, we do hospitality work that's as focused on how people can work in uh, a fitness center as it is in how people can, uh, you know, eat at work. Um, so it, it really is morphing. Um, I think the idea of connectivity um, and everybody being constantly connected, um, that definitely plays uh, a part. And what we find is because you're always connected, it's easy to start to ignore those connections. So our play in design is how do we build really meaningful connections in ways that may be, dis may be uh, surprising to people. Um, that doesn't always rely on you, you know, kind of uh, texting back and forth, but actually, you might actually look in someone's eyes and, and, <laughs> and get a feel for what they're thinking, even if they don't say it. My goodness, just imagine that. <laughs> uh, when we look at some of the, uh, the, the newer companies that have really remade the idea of what a workplace can be, a lot of the time we we lean towards cliches. So I mentioned Google earlier, and if people think about Google, they might immediately think, oh, that's, that's that place where they've got slides in the office and they're all like working on roller skates or something. Uh, is there a place for a little bit of silliness in the office? And 
it, has that has that led to a to a really drastic change in the way that we think about the office, or do you find that most clients are actually just after solutions, uh, a solutions focused approach to designing the workplace, not necessarily swings and slides? Yeah, I, th- I think most of our clients have you know kind of moved on and are uh, have a more far more sophisticated view of the workplace. Um, it's no longer you know get a graffiti artist in, throw a ping pong table in, and poof, now we're having fun in the workplace. Uh, I think most of the, the more sophisticated clients understand that it has to be meaningful to the culture. The, the, the support you're giving your employee has to say something. Everyone comes to work for different reasons, but the thing we find across the board is they all pretty much want to feel like they belong to something larger than themselves, that they're doing something that matters. And when you can design a space, whatever it is, workplace or a home or a hospitality uh, uh, space, um, when you can design a space that make people feel like they're comfortable coming in, joining with other like-minded individuals, um, that's what it's all about. So our clients are looking for more meaningful solutions, more meaningful connections and designs that can help to foster those. Wrapped, uh, of course, as we mentioned earlier, has an installation here this year. It's called Tell Me More. Uh, what, are you, what is Wrapped trying to do with the installation this year? I suppose, uh, David, tell me more. <laughs> kind of handed that one to you, I guess. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, you know, we thought long and hard that this is this is many years uh, kind of coming and being being the the observer. Um, this year we threw our hat in the ring and said we you know, we really wanted to engage in this incredible conversation about design and the and the power that it that it has. Um, you know, the 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 um, installation is about bringing people in as individuals. Uh, they're met with um, drapery clad vessels um, internally lit enough to kind of give you a glimmer of geez I should peek inside and when they peek inside they realize there's been there's a card with a question left from a stranger that was previously there Um, they pick up the card they they write a question for uh, the next person they take the card and then they wander into a lounge um, that is again appropriately scaled for conversation and connection um, from the ceiling, there are uh, all of the questions that came before them. So uh, the, the vision of entering the conversation that's come before and will come after, um, and they're really kind of uh, pulled into a space that, that encourages them to talk to others, uh, reading other questions, seeing like-minded individuals. Um, the idea, again, is... Uh, at a place where people are seeing so much and observing so much, taking photographs, running out, that this was an opportunity for us to say, let's slow down. Instead of being an observer, let's, let's have you be a participant in the conversation um, and really bring people together. Slowing down. I love the sound of that. It, it's, it's the first time you've had an installation here. Will you be back next year? We sure will. Absolutely. Look forward to it. David Galulo from Wrapped Design Studio. Thank you very much for joining us Thank here you. on Midori House. Uh, we're, of course, live with a special edition of Midori House from the Salone del Meuble in Milan. Connectivity and technology often go hand in hand, and 
When used wisely, it can help us live better in ever more crowded cities. One of the people who perhaps understands this best is the architect Ron Becker, a partner at London-based PLP Architecture and the mind behind a building known as The Edge in Amsterdam, which was dubbed the smartest office in the world thanks to its pristine efficiency. The Edge opened in Amsterdam in 2015, bedecked with some 30,000 sensors that help control everything from light to heating and even a worker's diary. Imagine that. Monocle's Josh Fennett asked Ron Backer how the concept for The Edge came about. I was trying to get people in a big organisation, people who didn't know each other very well, to have the chance to meet each other and talk about what they were doing. And that was not just me, but the main tenant of the building is Deloitte, large consultancy company, doing much more of the stuff they're still going to be doing in 15 years' time. And robotics and machines have taken over accountancy and tax auditing. They are doing a lot more interesting stuff, and it's very important for them to talk to each other, to have an exposure to the larger issues that you know the businesses they support are into. That's a great challenge as an architect because it's... Making spaces for people to meet is really kind of what we do, you know, in life. At least that's what I'm very interested in. And the building was almost created as a great big hub for people to meet. So it has a great atrium in the middle and everybody can see the atrium and everyone's sort of part of the spatial experience of it. In a way, that aspect is, for me, what still worked best about the building. So it's a great big sort of place to come home into. And people say that too. The smart part of the building was very much a sign of its time, perhaps a little bit ahead of the curve, but coming from a great ambition from the developers of the building and the main tenant and the consultant team to see how this experience of people working together could be improved by technology. And so one interesting thing for me is that the way that we all work, the typology, if you will, of the workplace has changed vastly and we're only just really coming out of that idea that we should all work in kind of cordoned off little spaces and you know everyone needs an office which parts of the traditional office you brought into this building and which bits you thought it could do without like presumably there are no kind of hokey partitions and little bits where you can put up pictures of your family and stuff or was that part of it absolutely yeah yeah and in a way work these days is no longer the same for eight hours a day people have a diary of different tasks to do and it's quite difficult actually to do all these things in the single one desk that normally people get allocated. So the idea of the project was to supply people with an opportunity to choose different types of workspaces for different types of activities. And they very happily do so. So people have the choice between normal desk space, standing desks for their back problems, or just because they feel like, you know, sitting is not so good for us anymore as we thought it was. And there are cubicles that are acoustically separated from the rest of the space. There are benches where you can sit with your work team. There are comfortable seats for taking telephone calls. And people have learned how to choose these for specific activities. And you'll find that some people do that very happily they go around they want to sit next to other people every day and other people just like to sit at the same desk every day with their cactus and a picture of their dog and that's what they make their home on the one hand giving people exactly what they need is great on the other hand allowing people to express their wishes in a building is also kind of a new thing 
I always get the sense that there are two sides that are kind of battling against each other. One is the the feeling of space that architects think about, you know, how people feel when they move through it, the proportion and the form. And the other thing is this label that the building seems to have been born with as the smartest office space. And smart, in my opinion, isn't an uncomplicated term. I think there's lots of things that are labelled smart that aren't that smart. But your building does a lot of things which weren't done before. It has 30,000 sensors fitted in it. It controls the ambient temperature for what goes on. Could you tell me a little bit about some of those innovations and maybe a little bit about how you had to balance them with what it felt like to be in that space? The building is made as a kind of the best workspace you can have. So it looks at space, it looks at acoustical settings, a little bit left behind sometimes in architecture, but acoustics are very, very important for comfort. It looks at daylight. Daylight makes people very productive. And it's trying to balance all these types of different aspects of people's working comfort in the workplace. It actually means that there's an overlap of different technologies and different spatial aspects and different organizational aspects that happen at the same time. The building understands the lighting conditions and the temperature and quality of the air everywhere because it's measured by all those sensors. The building balances these decisions out against climate issues. So you don't want to sit by the window in the sunshine looking at the glare on your screen. So you're better sat at the other side of the office where you can leave the window open and let the daylight come in. At the same time, there's this balance with the energy use of the building because if you sit in a daylit space, you don't need to switch the lights on and you don't need to put the cooling on. You know, So there are clever sort of overlaps of different technical systems that optimize the space. At the same time, it's a building for our age. So all the bits that move are connected through the IoT to the world or to their manufacturers, the coffee machines and the photocopiers and the lockers and the meeting rooms and the screens. You can talk to all of it with your phone. It feels a bit like there's this kind of organizing organism behind it all. And if you would ignore all the technology, you still have a great experience in the building. And for me, that's the smartest bit. I agree. And we've talked before about data, and data is something that people are both afraid of giving up, but probably willing to, I would sense, make some compromises on if, for instance, it was cutting a building's energy consumption, say, and the amount of energy that in turn the city and the nation use because it knows where you are in the building and whether you need these services. But I remember you telling me about one scheme, it may have been in the edge, it may have been elsewhere, where people's data on their registration plates of their cars was being taken. And people saw that as an affront to the data because they thought, well, hang on, they know when I'm clocking in and out of work, I'm fine to have a sensor on my seat if the data's well managed and if no one's spying on me, but actually that's a piece of personal information that I'm not willing to give up. Did you think about that, this balance between what data people are willing to trade off and not when you were designing the building and fitting all of this smart technology? Yeah, it was almost a whirlwind of opportunity everybody saw for the future. So people who started working in the building also felt a bit like they were part of the experiment, you know, part of the pilot, which is very exciting. So when it became clear to people that certain types of data were being collected by the building to make it more productive and energy efficient and all of those things, the debate about personal data was just about happening in the Netherlands. But the number plate incident was quite soon because the 
barrier opens when it can see your car coming because it knows that you have a you know you have a pass you can park your car there for most people that is just great because then you don't have to stop and put your card into a machine and it goes more smoothly nobody has really an issue with that and it's not the people in the building but it was the unions who questioned this because it does give the system the opportunity to make notes of when people arrive and when people leave but this happens at the same time that people are taken more seriously as intelligent human beings and they don't actually have to be there for certain times a day they have a workload to get through or a deadline to achieve but to counter the question they asked everybody in the building what they thought of that and it was a whopping 99% or something of people really didn't care at all when people see the benefits of it for their own work or for their comfort or for the environment then there are very few people who don't want to sign up just as a final question do you think the smartest office buildings that are being built now which obviously are in the lineage of your building do you think they're going to be the best places to work in the future are we at a point where that experimentation is translating into user-centered design and the individual is getting a much better experience alongside those benefits or are we still kind of feeling our way out a little bit No, I think that is the case. Better buildings are coming online now because of the technology. But it also happens to coincide with the time that we rediscovered the central part of the design of the built environment, which is human beings, you know. So we sort of forgot about that for a little while. But now the people are totally central in the considerations. So we do need to learn more about what makes spaces better, what is more comfortable for people, what are the choices they have. And there's still a lot to learn. But the learning is more about people, I think, than about technology. Ron Backer there of PLP Architecture, speaking to Monocle's Josh Fennett. You are listening to a special edition of Midori House, broadcasting live from Salone del Mobile here in Milan. I'm Ben Ryland, and I'm joined now by a gentleman who's rather adept at casting his eyes to the sky and not feeling daunted by tall ambitions. Stefano Boeri, welcome to Midori House. Thank you welcome. very much for Thank joining us. Thank you so much. Yep. Uh, now, your architecture practice has offices in Shanghai and Tirana, but Milan is your home. Tell me, what is it about this fine city that makes you want to drop anchor here and, and call this city home for you? Well, you know, Milano is a small metropolitan because it's, a, it's not so huge as a geographical extension, but it's super dense of excellencies and cultural institutions. So uh, that's, I think, it's a reason that makes Milano so attractive during the design week. So you can really do many different things, meet different people, uh, and also uh, receive a quite a rich offer of uh, cultural events uh, in a very, very, very small uh, urban environment. So you can walk, you can take a bike and cross the city half an hour. And well, that's absolutely unique. Very culturally friendly, this city. Uh, now, uh, you design homes for a living, of course. Uh, a recent example being Bosco Verticale, uh, a pair of high-rise apartment towers. Let me throw a rather big question out to you now. Uh, what makes a good home? What makes? What makes a good home? How do you, how do you define a, a good home, especially when you are designing a home for someone else? Well, uh, honestly, uh, what we have done is to design a house for trees. <laughs> and uh, that could be used also by humans and by birds, by insects. But, well, I'm not joking. We are seriously uh, committed to the idea to uh, 
make architecture capable to host living nature, not as an ornamental presence, not as a decoration, but something which is really a basic component of uh, our architectural concept. So the Bosco Verticale was uh, the first prototype, we think, we believe, we hope, of a new generation of buildings that have living nature in, on the facade. And when we, when we work, when we try to, to reinterpret, replicate vertical forests all over the world, we always start from the climate condition with the biodiversity of uh, living species, basically trees, plants, shrubs, and we design our facade in relation with the evolution trajectory for every tree and every plant, like we normally use users of your home, of your apartment. So that's the reason I'm not, I'm not joking when I say we design houses for trees. <laughs> a tree house, if, if you may. A tree house, perfect, <laughs> yes. Uh, now, of course, uh, you have, uh, uh, you've spoken before about this idea of uh, wanting to move away from artificial, uh, artificial materials when making buildings, and as you describe it, design yeah. buildings that, that fit better into nature. Do you think that too many of our cities have moved too far away from what, what might be described as a natural environment? Do you think maybe there is a, is a hunger among people to, to want to make their built environment more like a natural environment? Yeah, I think it's a, the, the relation between the urban sphere and the natural sphere is very complex. And uh, it's impossible to generalize. So it depends from history, from local history, from local conditions. Well, what I think is that we have to do our best to imagine a new kind of cohabitation between the natural sphere, the agricultural sphere, and the urban sphere. Uh, we should realize future city has a kaleidoscope of different uh, landscapes, uh, urban, agricultural, and natural. Uh, we should do our best to, for instance, try to reforest or afforest our cities. We need forest, we need green, we need trees, because trees are uh, absorbing CO2, trees are cleaning the air, cleaning, clean, trees are reducing the heat, uh, trees are reducing the consumption of energy, trees are implementing the biodiversity of living species, so we need trees, we need more plants, we need more green surface in our city. That's for us, it's really a very, very important issue. Stefano Boeri. Some life lessons there for designing cities. I think that uh, we'll all be taking those to heart. Thank you very much, sir, for coming in and joining me on Thank Midori so House. Much. I know you've got a very busy schedule, so we'll let you get back to uh, you. where you bye need bye. to go to next. But thank you very much for coming in to join us. Of course, you are tuned to a very special edition of Midori House. We're broadcasting live here from the Salone del Meuble in Milan. And I'm pleased to say that a familiar voice to Monocle 24 listeners seems to have descended upon us. Georgina Godwin, you are, well, you are fresh from the airport, aren't you? You've only just flown in. I have. It's very exciting. And as I was driving in, there were loads and loads of banners uh, advertising a huge event that's going on here. Uh, but actually, we're not here for the Cannabis Festival. <laughs> oh, dear. That's awkward, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Georgina, we've got uh, so much happening over the weekend, don't we? We've got a... Uh, uh, strangely enough, we've got some special editions of this very program going to air over the weekend, which is something a little bit different for our listeners. They might not be used to getting Midori House at the weekend, but we've got a very special Saturday edition and a Sunday edition. And the voice behind those editions will be the one and only 
Miss Godwin. It will, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's fun to shake up the, the whole way we do things every now and again, and wonderful to do it in this place, which is extraordinary. I mean, we're right in the middle of this courtyard, surrounded by a lot of very beautiful people, and of course, just absolutely cutting-edge design. Uh, and I think it's going to be really fun to bring that into our normal Saturday and Sunday programming, and just talk about it a little bit. There are a lot of wonderful people that I think will drag here behind the microphone. <laughs> Although, actually, people seem to be uh, gagging to get on. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people kind of watching what's going on here and, and clearly very interested and, and wanting to participate and our cafe is doing huge business. I don't know if that's the Aperol Spritz or what. <laughs> I think it might have something to do with that. There might be a few sitting in front of us right now but let's not go too far into that. We're still in business hours <laughs> after all. Uh, were you surprised by the rather carnival atmosphere? I've got to say that when I was coming to Salerno for the first time I was sort of expecting something a little bit more trade fairy and of course there is that as well but it's much more of a celebration isn't it with all the artistic installations around the city and everyone walking around having such a wonderful time we're into the early evening now of course coming up to 7 30 in the evening and there's still so many people about really enjoying themselves it's the perfect friday night it really is and the weather is balmy as they say well it uh, is now <laughs> I, yeah i believe it's been raining but um it's it's been great since i've got here and it is um yeah really lovely a, a lot of people about and as you say a bit of a party atmosphere um, and then tomorrow, of course, we have the Saturday weekend edition. And as part of that, we have uh, Meet the Writers. I can never resist a little plug for that program. Well, so. absolutely. You've got some fantastic voices on Meet the Writers, haven't well, you? Well, yes. And tomorrow, it's Ben Elton, who really... Um, uh, reinvented what comedy was back in the 1980s. He's a, an alternative comedian, but he's talking about, well, not only his life and his work, but his latest book, which is called Identity Crisis, which is a, a, a really biting satire about identity and, and how we see ourselves. And it kind of hits every hot button issue that, that's going on at the moment. So, for instance, in terms of the Me Too movement, uh, he tries to do that retrospectively, and Samuel Pepys. Um, comes under fire and of course Samuel Pepys writes a lot about how he abused his servant girls and all sorts of things uh, and they prosecute him in the book <laughs> for, for his crimes um, and there, there are many other many other things like that in, in the book it's great fun it's going out tomorrow 1500 that's London time and I'm not actually sure what time that is in Milan <laughs> that'll be 1600 here in Milan so uh, the perfect time to have a bit of a sit down and a bit of a wind down at the weekend I think that's what I that's perhaps what I like best about Meet the Writers. It's the perfect program to wind down into the weekend. Uh, Georgina, thanks so much for, for popping in and previewing us uh, something that's, that's going to be coming in our weekend edition, uh, which we're continuing with, of course, into Saturday and Sunday right here on Monocle 24. But for now, that does bring us to the end of today's program. A big thank you to my guests, Stefano Boeri and David Galulo. The Dory House was produced here in Milano by Daphne Carnesis and Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Our studio manager was David Stevens, and back in London, steering the wheel expertly was Sarah Miles. Bill Luti is taking over with some music up next at 2000 Milan time, 1900 in London. It's The Menu. The Monocle Daily wraps up the day in news and current affairs live from London at 2200, 2300. If you're a night owl and listening here in Milan, we are back tomorrow with another special edition of Midori House at a special time. That's 16.30 in Milan, 15.30 in London. Set your watch or your smart speaker, as it may be. I'm Ben Ryland from the Salone del Mobile in Milan. We're off to enjoy an Aperol Spritz or two. Thank you for listening and good evening.